Welcome everyone to this episode. It is me editing poll and here is a little disclaimer for you. We had some technical issues during this recording. Um, Rob's PC just decided to die before uh, our recording, so I had to record on his phone. Uh, we're trying our best to figure everything and every audio issues we could have in the future. Uh, just keep that in mind. So the audio quality is not as good as usual. Yeah, just think about it as uh, three people having uh, a conversation on the phone. And it should work for everyone. With that being said, I hope everyone has a good episode. And I'll see you next Monday. <laughs> Episode 38 of the Slow Spin Society podcast. I am Paul, your usual co-host, and today I am with Rob and Carl. Hi, guys. Morning, everyone. Hey, guys. Uh, you might know Carl better with his Instagram account, Fixie Carl. Uh, we're going to talk about it later. But just before, if you want to hear more about film photography, we talked about that again. Uh, Carl, new favorite piece of gear. Uh, just hint, wink, wink. It's a lens. It's a nice lens. Um, and some Fix Gear magazine. Then you should definitely listen to the pre-show. You can access the extended conversation at patreon.com slash podcast or by subscribing directly on Apple Podcast, but more on that later. Carl, first, welcome to the show. It's really nice to have you here. It's been a long time and the plan to have you on the show. Um, welcome. <laughs> Thank you so much, Paul. It's really nice to be here. Thank you for having me. No problem. Um, first things first, could you maybe introduce yourself for the people that might not know you and how do you got into fixed gear? Yes, um, I'll try to make it brief, but uh, I think I got into fixed gear in around 2010, 11, um, when the whole thing was kind of dying down, as you all know, probably. Uh -huh. um, so I was kind of riding on the on the back of the wave, um, and at that point, I think in, I'm from Copenhagen, Denmark, um, in Scandinavia. For those of you who don't know, in Europe, for those of you who don't know where <laughs> Scandinavia is, uh, and I know there are some. Um, I think at that time there were a lot of people in Scandinavia who used to ride fixed and who spent a lot of money on uh, fixed gear bikes, and they all kind of decided to sell them at the same time. And I was getting into building and working around with bikes. So I, like, I spent all my savings on different bikes and <laughs> started like the collection from there. And then it's just basically, yeah, rolled on from there. So I, I but for about, I think 10 years. So it's been a while. Wow. What was your first bike called? My first bike, I mean, my first proper bike was the orange Masi, uh, Massey special sprint um, that I found in in New York City. <clears throat> sorry, uh, when visiting, uh, and I scoured like all the different bike shops in Manhattan and Brooklyn, and at that point to try and find one. I was really close to buying some, you know, no name bike with purple wheels and a green saddle. <laughs> oh and, no! <laughs> you know, yeah, awful. And I was, I don't know how, like the universe told me not to, but. The day after, I found this frame, this orange, beautiful thing in the back of a shop. And I knew nothing about geometry or anything. So I just thought it looked amazing. And I mean, I still do. I really love it. It's probably a bit more slack than I would prefer. But like, it's, it has this first bike magic mm. around it. So I think I'll always keep it. Because you still have it, don't you? Yeah. Yes, I do. Oh, God. Yes, I do. I'm struggling, you know, kind of circling the collection and displaying like a bike at a time so people don't think that I've sold it <laughs> off. But it's like a kind of a luxury issue. Um, but I still have it. Yeah, it's in, in the basement of my parents' house. Uh, we all have bikes in the parents' house. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, Paul, yes. you have bikes spread around. You know that feeling. 
Yeah, I have bikes at my dad's house. I have bikes at my mom's place, my girlfriend's place. No, back in Japan, <laughs> they're everywhere. They scatter around. I'm really waiting for the day they will all be here at the same place, you know? Yeah. But, yeah. Not yeah, yet. Let us know if you need curious to bring home something from Japan. I'll <laughs> gladly go there. Yeah, I'm, I'm planning to go there too, hopefully. <laughs> um... Uh, Rob, do you still have your first bike? Oh God, no, no. I, I, I went. Through... God no, <laughs> no way. <laughs> I went through so many major sketchy. I think I was a bit like Carl as well. It was on the uh, around 2010, 2011 when I started uh, my first. Went from uh, BMX to fixed gear, and they were just super sketchy road conversions, and uh, and I. I recklessly destroyed a few of them in uh, a couple of not big accidents but um yeah i just kept upgrading and upgrading until my first track bike i think was four or five builds in before it was just conversions oh wow yeah nice but i come from i'm from newcastle newcastle's like 10 years behind london so <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't even know what one was. I saw saw it, and it was just it was an easy way to build a bike, which was faster to get around the city. It wasn't like I was in fixed gear. I didn't even know so much about the velodrome or actually the history of track riding. It was just a, a lighter, simple bike, a bit like a BMX in terms of no gears, no brakes, and but I could skid, so I was like, woohoo! I can stop. Oh, nice. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, my I, I gave my first bike to my mom. Oh, so yeah. Oh, my, it wasn't that brakeless fixed gear bike. Uh, it was brakeless, <laughs> but I did put a brake on it. Uh, but my mom does ride fixed gear, and it's my biggest wow. flex. What? <laughs> yeah, that's. I mean, how haven't I heard about this before? That's incredible. You need to do a bike <laughs> check on your mother. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, she has a my Bianchi Via Contondi, uh, which was like a really, really cheap Bianchi at the time that I I, I got and and yeah, she I like I am one meter eighty one. Yeah. And that bike is a fifty-three. And I think I rode it years before knowing it was too small for me. <laughs> uh <laughs> at some like point I was knees. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and at some point, I, I tried like uh, my friends back, and I was like, "Well, that fits me way better. What, what, what's the problem with that? You know?" Oh God, I think we've all been. Yeah, there. It definitely took yeah. me a long time to find the right size. I kept buying bikes a little bit too small for me for a long time because I thought it's as well aesthetically a smaller bike with a higher seat and longer stem kind of looks a bit better. But now I just buy the right size. Yeah, I I am still mixed between like getting something a little bit compact and having like a longest stem, yeah. or buying something the right size and not um, stabbing my back basically. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, because if I want a long stem, I don't want it to rise. You know, yeah. I want it to be flat. Exactly. Um, but <laughs> As long but, as yeah. my balls don't hit the top tube too heavily, I'm all right. <laughs> <laughs> what a perfect metric. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it depends a bit on how long they are, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Let's not, let's not go there. <laughs> so a lot of people... Um, uh, know you uh, by your Instagram page and all of your sweet bikes. Uh, you said you were living in Copenhagen, and yes, this is my personal question that always comes to my mind before anything else, and that's the first question I wrote there. Copenhagen is a city where, on average, it's raining 110 days per year, raining or yes. snowing. Okay. How, just tell me how, do you keep all of your bikes so freaking clean? Yeah, man. Yeah, how do you do that, Carl? Your bike, uh, yeah. Uh, well, I think um, what you need to do is you need to buy yourself 20 bikes and then <laughs> you can ride one at a time 
And then, you know, when one gets dirty, you just throw it somewhere <laughs> in a basement, for example, at your lovely folks' place, and then you bring out the next one. And then once or twice a year, you can, you know, bring a cloth and some water to the basement and then dry them off and then, you know, start again. Now, in all seriousness, I think, like, seriously having that many options, and I'm usually kind of riding a bike for a week or two, and then swapping it out just to kind of get like get a feel for all of them and like feel that they are used otherwise i would sell them off i think but that means that they won't really like they won't get to be that dirty and i don't do that much uh fixed gear single speed anything like in i don't go like on gravel and stuff yet i would really love to i know you did a, a long podcast on that one as well um so I don't get my bikes proper dirty in that sense either. Mm, I see. But yeah, I my mean, my main advice is have have a lot of bikes, you know, to swap between, so you can always have the clean ones right. The main advice for life in general. <laughs> in plus one, right? I think I'm getting there. Yeah. <laughs> I know you are. <laughs> I kind of see your collection expanding as well, Rob. Looks uh, looks really promising. Thanks, man. <laughs> Thank you. I'm uh, doing my. Best. I I enjoy it. I enjoy the build just as much as the ride. And to be honest, I'm with you. It's like every other day or every two or three times a week, I'll swap it out. I'll jump on one bike and and spend a couple of days on that, and then I I know I want to get back on another bike because the the feel is different, and I want to feel like I'm using them. If they're not being used, it's kind of pointless to have them. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Just as a side note, but the Patreon vote for uh, this month's Patreon episode. So I, I put a few options out there. And the option that won was how many bikes do you realistically need? So we're going to have an entire episode on that. <laughs> That's amazing. I think it's going to be some fun. One. Yeah, Yeah, it will be. <laughs> I won't be joining that one, I think. <laughs> Is there an answer? Oh. Will we ever get to the bottom of the truth? How many bikes? Exactly. <laughs> we all know the, the real answer is N plus one, but you know, yeah, exactly. we, we, we need some kind of uh, talk to get to there, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. We have to show people that we've kind of made a, an informed decision. <laughs> this is the case. <laughs> <laughs> this is it, boys. We got the final answer. Exactly. Uh, um, I think that's what you should dub your uh, your next podcast. This is it. We got the final answer, and then just leave the rest be <laughs> unanswered. Exactly. So, how is Copenhagen uh, as a as a city to ride? Because I don't know that many riders from Copenhagen. You, I think no. you're you're the main one with probably Magnus. Um, yes. ha- what? How? How is it? Um, like you said, it's raining for 110 days each a week a year. I I feel like it's a lot. I mean, it feels like a lot more. Like it's raining right now, for instance. So uh, usually riding in Copenhagen is wet. I would say first of all and cold. Mm-hmm. But also, I mean, it's a city built around cycling infrastructure in a way, which is really fascinating. And uh, I think especially for people um, commuting, not really interested in bikes as the object i think that's amazing i think in the fixed gear sense it's uh, a bit limiting in terms of how you can ride um i know we talked about it before paul when you did the episode on the different cities in the world and how it is to be there and yep uh, i think in copenhagen it's it's like there are these cycling lanes basically everywhere so the bikes are separated from the roads so when you go like in the road or do something even just like riding across a pedestrian like crosswalk people will get like freakishly scared and jump around and like cars will hunk and it's kind of chaotic so we have a very like a strict system for how people usually ride and this also means that on my commute through central Copenhagen in the morning I actually have like if you don't choose to go to the road like and overtake people out there, then you have like cues on the 
the bike parts so there are like some lights where it's so busy that there will need like three crossings before you get over because you are like 500 bikes waiting what? in Whoa. line yeah that's pretty crazy i think at one point i'll do like a pov video of how it is to ride as, as a normal copenhagen cyclist from one end to the other and how much time it takes because there are so many people here riding wow and yeah it's really crazy but do you then tend to do you tend to ride on the road then and, and and stay away a little bit from the cycle paths, especially in the busy commute of the morning? No, actually, I'm 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 one of the more obedient cyclists. Oh, okay. I think I'm very. Uh, it's not a definitely not a popular thing to say, but I'm I'm very like there is there are very strict laws against like different riding styles and bikes in Copenhagen as we are this kind of community built up around cycling so the police is really um aware basically so we are it's basically it's illegal to ride without brakes of course but they will give you a fine for each missing brake you're supposed to have two functional brakes and then they will fine you for uh, if you're riding of course without lights i think that's a thing in many places but also if you're riding like with no handed or talking on your phone or of course crossing a red light but also riding in the wrong direction uh, riding in the road or riding across a pedestrian uh, sidewalk or crosswalk. So basically, they will fine you for everything and they will kind of uh, add these fines together. So if they catch you like riding brakeless in the road or crossing a red light, uh, no-handed talking on your phone, then you will get like 4, 000, uh, 5,000 kroner, which is, I think it's similar to 700 euros or something. In Holy a shit. Um, what? So I'm usually, I mean, I usually ride pretty uh, decently, I would say, but also because people are so judgmental here. So you can mm -hmm. really feel like you have a hundred eyes on you of people kind of disapproving, which can be fun. I mean, it's fun to provoke people and that's what the, the whole white bar thing is about anyways. But it's also kind of like it feels a bit odd to be that much, like <laughs> to be subject to that much hate on your way to work. Um, so I tend to just try to blend in a bit more. And then when you go on these crazy fun rides with friends and stuff, you can behave a bit more mm. crazy, mm. but yeah. Fascinating. I did. I didn't expect to hear that. That's uh, really interesting. You know? Yeah. Same thing. I thought it would be way more relaxed. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I think it's, it's a whole thing that people are, and there's a whole like battle between commuters and road cyclists and the whole thing of them not having a bill and yelling like behind you, like move yeah. aside. Cause they're like used to needing to push people aside to get past and stuff. And this, that's a whole thing. So it's, it's really very stressful. I'll be happy to take you on a tour when you get here. It's uh it's kind of fun as well. Um, but just, it's really hard to do like you see in in San Francisco and all these really iconic places like bombing down uh, roads and having fun. Mm -hmm. It's yeah, it's there's a very strict system for that here. Yeah, I'd love to come to Copenhagen. Yeah, I don't know you, Rob, but yeah, that really inspires yeah, yeah. me. I think we should go together. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I I have I think I have like a, a small taste of what it is because uh the few times I rode in the Netherlands with Fabian um I'm not I I wouldn't say I'm a bad cyclist okay <laughs> but <laughs> you ride if there is a, if there is a red light and I see no one for miles away then yeah, I'm gonna go through, you know. Of course. Uh, I mean. But Fabian was like, "No, dude, we have to wait." And I'm like, "What do you mean we have to wait?" He's like, we have to <laughs> wait. And I, I kind of understand like the entire um, like Scandinavian vibe of uh, these are the rules, and you better respect them. Definitely. And to be completely fair, it would it should be the same for every part of the world you know you should respect the rules because <laughs> that this is how it works right but yeah well i would love to go to copenhagen i think it would be great definitely no but i think there is also definitely something about i mean i think fabian from the netherlands right yep 
because I mean we have similar I think biking cultures and there's also something about the whole like municipality is doing uh, a lot of like doing a lot of initiatives basically to protect bicyclists so basically I think my yeah. impression is that many places in the states and in Paris for example it's like it's you against the world as a cyclist basically and it's like it's your own responsibility to take care of yourself which in a way is a lot of course a lot more scary and here we are we are very regulated in that sense so here people are kind of making rules on your behalf to take care of you which i think is really sympathetic because it's yeah. like a pregnant mom riding like I, you see very many pregnant women riding around and i'm always like oh my god if you crash i can't even yeah think about it but it's like we have a very safe system for riding bikes as a regular commuter here so it's like it's only for those nerds and freaks and psychopaths mm. riding like yeah. wanting to ride outside of the norm that's that's a bit more difficult um but i definitely feel you i mean it's of course i would also run a red light if no one was watching and yeah it's It's definitely a cultural thing. I mean, having an infrastructure for bikes has to help. We want more people exactly. to ride. But like you said, it, it's survival of the fittest in London or in Paris. You you you've got to fight. For, you've got to fight for your right to be able to ride the way you want to ride. Not the way you want to ride. We ride safely in general. But even crossing a red light, I think, can be safe mm. if you can clearly see. There's nothing from the right. There's nothing from the left. There's no pedestrians. The lights, the light system, you can cut across. Definitely. But I agree that the infrastructure is definitely good when it's designed for the support and safetyness of all mm. cyclists. It's a great thing. Yeah. And I'm still kind of happy, even though we have like many regulations that we're not like Berlin right now. Sorry, Rob. But like that, like having just thinking about having your bike confiscated, I think I wouldn't be able to ride brakeless there because it's, yeah, it's too scary. I think it's the fear for most people, to be honest. Yeah. I think that's why, uh, yeah, loads of people ride with brakes just just for that. Of course, I would too. Yeah, if, if I go yeah. to Berlin, there's no way I'm not taking like a set of like dummy calipers with me because <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. If it doesn't work, if it's not functional, that's fine. They'll just yeah. Yeah, I mean, I have friends who ride like old road bikes where the cables are snapped, so they basically break by jamming their foot against the tarmac i tried to teach them how to like break with you know what do you call that when you slam your foot on the rear bridge of the bike i never learned uh, like the name uh, of foot it foot break yeah i call it foot break i don't know about you foot break yeah well shoe break whatever <laughs> shoe destroy <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> well Yeah, but it, I mean that's way more sketchy, anyways. But of course, when it looks like you have calipers in your bike, or you have calipers but they're not working, then you won't get like fined. Yeah. Unless police starts testing your brakes, and I don't think that that doesn't happen really. It happens yeah. in Berlin. They definitely test it does? functionality. If they pulled you, they'll they'll safety check your bike because often at the bike shop wow. we get people coming in and they're like, right, I need reflectors on my pedals. I need a front and rear reflector. I need a front and back brake that's functioning because then they have to take their bike to the police station, show that it's now fully safety, it's fully safe, and then they won't have. They'll pay the fine, but they won't get their bike confiscated the second time. So you have two chances. First chance, they'll give you a warning and they'll send you to a bike shop to get everything fitted. If you get caught the second time without the modifications, then they'll take the bike. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's nice to have a second chance anyways, to have like a warning. Is yeah. That, but is it, is it a second chance for a specific bike or is it for you in person? It's you in person. If you're on a different yeah. bike, that doesn't matter. If you're on a different bike with no brakes again. So if you turned up and said, I have a new bike and it has brakes, then maybe that would yeah. be all right. Of course. Yeah. The 20 bike solution doesn't always work. What yeah. the hell? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that sucks. I mean, that's de definitely input for the next episode, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> talking talking about that, so um, when you have multiple bikes, uh, there is usually two types of person. 
the one that have everything bolt up and ready to ready to roll at any given time, mm-hmm. or the one that has a bunch of friends and enjoy swapping components and when he wanted rides and yeah, you know, like just switching and sometimes putting with parafoil yeah. there, parafoil here. And what team are you on? I'm definitely on the second team. I mean, I would love to be on the first team because it's. I feel like my threads in my bottom brackets are becoming tired of me changing bottom <laughs> brackets every fucking two yeah, weeks. Yeah. But uh, I have the unfortunate situation of always preferring like one stem or one set of wheels. Right now, it's the 55 millimeter carbon wheels because I think they're like they go nicely with many things. It's very like conform visual aesthetic as well but it's like they ride nicely and they're fun wheels so i kind of swap them around on every bike i ride which is super boring and i'm trying to also stay a bit on the first team because i'm so i'm building up every bike but then i'm just like every time i take a new one then i'm taking it apart and setting the same components on it instead so it's like i'm trying to trick myself into doing something more diverse and I end up building it exactly the same way. So uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah I know that's, that. that's not, that's not the, I'm not happy about that side of myself. <laughs> uh, but just having cranks, cranks are so annoying. Having so many sets of cranks is the definitely. worst. Yeah. 100%. Kind of a luxury problem again, but God damn, it's annoying. I mean, I would love it if they just made a, like one single, fit one fits all like one size fits all bottom bracket that just fit everything yeah. but i know it's like imagining people agreeing Politic. on a solution is completely <laughs> impossible and would never work so and i would have to throw out all my cranks anyway so i think it's not not, not really the right <laughs> way to go <laughs> yeah do you have a favorite bike among your collection oh i feared that question <laughs> I uh <laughs> I've thought about it so many times and I think um <clears throat> I think maybe it was at one point definitely was my Eddie Merckx um cuz it was so unique but uh as I know you know I fucked it up in spring yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. um there was this really nice Eddie Merckx MX leader fork which was like painted to match and it was a track fork um and it was completely destroyed. Luckily, I think the frame survived. So I've, I've been able to find a replacement fork. But oh, it's like it's a good. road fork, so it has more rake. Uh-huh. Um, so it's not as tight. And now the geometry of the frame is a bit, little bit sloping, which hurts my eyes so bad. So I've been in contact with some local frame builders in terms of maybe like if they could de-lock the whole thing and cut off some of the uh, like the tubes. Uh-huh. and assemble it again to mm-hmm. make it more tight but i know it's kind of a, a crazy thing to do with a mx leader pantograph Merck's fork which is like it works but it's just not the geometry that i want mm-hmm. and it has a, a breaking yeah. hole as well which sucks but so i think i mean let's see how it looks when it's finished i think it won't be my favorite bike anymore i think maybe it will be the black colnago because it's also really special which one <laughs> Well, the it's a Colnago Dream Pista. Um, the, the black, black one? and white. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's not oh, one of the that. most. It's not one of the exclusive like Dream Lux ones where the both like the top tube and down tube is uh, profiled. It's only the top tube, but it's still like it's such a nice bike. And I know that Michael Panisha, like this guy, bike with Mike from New York City. Yeah. Um, he's a fashion photographer as well. He takes really nice photos. He has, he recently bought one with like a, the same as mine, but a dream Lux version with both a profile top tube and down tube. And it's, I mean, it looks insane. It's so beautiful. I've, I've so, been envious of that bike for a while. Ah, it, like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it is really nice. Yeah. I'll swap you for the blue candle to the track though. Anytime, just let me know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're making deals, are we? Oh, yes, we yeah. are. <laughs> we have a lot of listeners to confirm it. <laughs> <laughs> so you won't get out of this one. 
Uh, I might, okay, I might have a plan for you. Let me think about it, okay? I know you can just edit this part out, but uh, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I record as well. So I will definitely that. lay it in. Do you want my <laughs> Cannondale track blue or do you want any Cannondale track blue? I want, I mean, I want any. I'm I'm not very, uh, I'm not very uh, picky when it comes to Cannondale tracks. I mean, I've, I've looked for a bloody Cannondale track for 11 years without luck. And one point when Amy offered me some, I was too daft to say yes because I figured, oh, with the hassle with shipping and taxes and stuff from the US, I thought, you know, I'll find one in Europe. And now it's just not possible at all. So I'm still on the hunt. If you yeah. guys find one or any of you beautiful listeners, I will gladly come and give you a kiss on the forehead. <laughs> I'll, I'll pick it up myself. I mean, I'll ride my bike to you flat. I don't care where you live. I'll ride it to you and I'll pick it up and I'll be very grateful. Wow. You heard that. That's a statement to make. On the, yeah, you heard that before. <laughs> you I stand by this statement. Will... If you live at the very south of Italy, please, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I'm coming. <laughs> Just like does a transcontinental on his Sinelli. Exactly. Um, <laughs> can I, uh, Carl, since I, it's quite clear that you have a very um, visual aesthetic appeal with bikes that you like. I mean, the fact that you just told us to fork at it a little bit more rake than, than you were happy with and it changed a lot. But this kind of shows in the style of photography you shoot with your bikes. All your shots are kind of clean. I mean, very clean in terms of uh, locations you you choose. Yes. How often do you get out and shoot and how do you choose your locations? And, and yeah, just can you tell me a bit about your visual yeah, style? Definitely. Um, well, I think, I mean, it varies a lot depending on like how uh, inspired I am to sound really corny. But, but basically, of course... Uh, schedule and how busy you are at the point but but uh, I think maybe I go every other week um, mm -hmm. and basically I just try to stay uh, stay awake when I'm out and like check out for new spots and like I'm like you know I'm very keen on shooting against uh, minimalistic walls like with a very uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, simple finish. Yeah. And I remember Amy told me when I visited her in, in Portland, like, yeah, walls are fun, but it's it's kind of also really interesting to to figuring out like a, a backdrop and the angle to capture that backdrop right with the bike in front and stuff. And that kind of opened my eyes in terms of how to shoot something that's not leaning against the wall. Also to get that kind of field of depth feeling of something with bouquet in the background. And it's a lot more, of course, it's a lot more challenging. I'm not really mastering it at all at this point, but it's like, it's definitely more fun to do that than to shoot against the wall. Cause that just feel like, I mean, doc documenting the bikes, um, which is also yeah, something yeah. fun, but it's more like, like a bike chick than a, an actually like shooting bike photography. Um, so I would definitely love to do more of that. And I think in that sense, I think maybe I just don't, like I'm too familiar with Copenhagen, so I can't see all the places like from a, but, but yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but I, when every time I see yeah. like pictures from Barcelona or London or Paris, I'm just thinking, you know, oh, what I would give to live there and shoot bikes there uh, with all the old buildings and structures and like the bigger, massive uh, constructions. But we don't really have that much of that here so it's it's always a bit of a challenge to do something new and i'm not mastering it at all um to be honest i think it's it's pretty clear that i'm doing like i'm redoing a lot of my shots which is not always satisfactory but then it's like yeah it's a combination of the build and the shot so i'm not like shooting the same bike with the same build two times yeah yeah, um, yeah. or i mean maybe people might disagree i know it's like you talked about it the last week, uh, guys, but it's the whole thing about building bikes the same way with like uh, Omnium cranks and Thompson seat posts and stems and stuff. I'm really like awful in that sense because I do it like Me too. too much. I build like bikes the like so so similar to everyone else. 
um, which bugs me out. It just mean Paul did a brand loyalty uh, podcast recently as well. And um, yeah, the brand loyalty, it's like I, I love the quality of Thompson. I love the feel of it. I love the aesthetic of it. And for me to then be like, right, I need a seat post and stem for a new build, I, I, I will go back to it every yeah. time. It's, it's me too. It's a, a, a really annoying can't, trap. Can't get away from it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I pre I touched on it in the pre-show as well. I just thought maybe for the main show. Um, were you were you influenced by Amy Danger in the beginning? Yes, I was. That's the very clear, fast answer. Um, <laughs> I think she was like she was like the one of the first uh, people that I started like following because I was I think it, it was a while it took a while for me to like actually go on Instagram and learn that there was also a community growing there um, mm. so for the first three or four years I was mostly just on pedal room and there was this Danish side as well called Fixie King uh, but these guys were all like very really friendly guys but they were all really skilled at building and shooting and they had very like I think that's maybe that's a thing that people kind of uh give each other shit and stuff for fun on these forums but they were all really uh experienced i was a huge noob at that time so i didn't really like i didn't really feel like i fit in there so i was more on pedal room at the time um so i think she was one of like my first inspirations in in that sense and still is um i love all her shots yeah i think she's inspired a lot of people um her stop shots are some of the best shots still out there. I agree. Yeah, yeah I agree. and no I doubt. love that she's uh, still shooting. I mean, I hope that she gets every pretty bike in the world because she can document them almost yeah. better than yeah. anyone else. So yeah. it's like, I think she talked about that as well when she was on uh, on here. I think like the whole thing of owning bikes and shooting them for the world to see. I think that's a really really nice way to to put it or to like to see it. Um, because it's so true that if you have these bikes and you are able to capture them in, in that beautiful manner, then you're actually able to to spread the joy, I think, to to many people who can enjoy them without owning them. Yeah, that's, I think that's what I'm starting to learn more about now. In the beginning, I was shooting my bikes because it's kind of, I enjoyed it. But actually shooting them aesthetically in a way that I feel represents the bike and the way I ride, actually, and people experiencing that and getting feedback for that is is really nice i really like sharing it awesome definitely i must say as well carl uh, uh you've been a huge inspiration i mean i really really love <laughs> thank the you so much you. Rob. you're sweet mega, mega. I, I i thank you for everything you've done and i'll keep following and keep liking your content <laughs> oh, that's love- mean, that means the world thank you so much it's really nice of you to say it, it is Thanks, it is uh the same for me when I I think we've been into Figure uh, around the the same time, and when you started to get all those really, um, I think there is really like some somewhat of a Carl aesthetic. Um, <laughs> yeah, a Carl aesthetic. Yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> but when I saw all of all of those clean shots and Sarah, my sense of fixed gear, um has uh grew in a in a little bit different way when people put a lot of stickers onto their bike and the more used it looks the the kind of more street creds you have Mm. and i was always a lot into that and then i saw what you were doing online and i was like man I wish I could keep my bike that clean and that, you know, and that beautiful for longer. And then I remember I was throwing my frame on every fences I I would see. So, Mm. yeah, well, but I I mean, I know what you're saying. I think it's like a, uh, it's a bit of a paradox in my opinion, because it's like, I, I think riding around on museum bikes is also a little bit, boring in a way like I, I really like the bikes that de- develop personality when you ride them and kind of that they take shape after you um mm-hmm. and i think like putting personalized stickers and stuff even though it doesn't look clean i think it i mean it really defines the bike in a new way and gives gives it like new life 
Um, no, I'm kind of contradicting my own style right now, but sometimes I'm questioning whether it's, I mean, whether it's way boring to have something so simple and so clean and always like polishing it to a shine. I think there is also a, a lot of uh, character and charm in, in like showing bikes how they are and how they are written. And yeah. there's this guy, you probably know him, like C.S. Krill or something. Yeah. Uh, Christian from uh, from Pedal Room. Uh, he has this parallax, which is custom painted with a, a pink chinelli going from the top tube down the fork. And it's been stolen and recovered. And then I think it was like custom painted in 15 or something. And it looks so trashy, but in the most beautiful sense I can imagine. And it's just... That bike has made me reconsider my whole approach to keeping bikes clean and shooting bikes clean and stuff like that. Because it's wow. it's so nice. If yeah. you haven't already, go check it out. I yeah. have no idea of where to find it yet, but I think it circulates the internet all the time. Do you know that picture, Rob? No, 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 no. Dude, I'll send that to you later. But, okay, the whole thing is... so. It's a parallax that a custom painted it into mm-hmm. um, in uh, white and was that Sinelli pink decal at the front. Mm. And I think he took some shots three years later. He's been writing this every day as a pure beater uh, mm. and not really swapping parts or anything, just writing, writing, writing. Um, he, to- he took shots three years later on the exact same um, angles that he took the first shot. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you can see the difference and where the paint scrapped and where he switched stuff, etc. And he did the same thing three years later again. So six (laughs) years later from the original build with exactly the same angles again. And that was probably like a few months back. Um, And and yeah, I saw that and I was like, man, that's this pretty special. is the coolest thing ever. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. And it's like he kept the bar tape on it as well. Yeah. As I remember like this uh, tanned, like it was uh, bleached by the sun. This cotton tape that turned brown it used to be black. Yeah, and, yeah, like, yeah. It was all torn up and he kept it on, which is really cool. Is there detail shots as well? So like the, the detail three years later, yeah. three years later, so you can actually see the wear of the bar tape. Exactly. Cool. You can see the, the head tube, how scratchy it is. And yeah, it's really nice. Yeah, that's cool. But yeah, it's an, it's an amazing set of pictures. And in some way, I thought, I thought this was amazing. And in another way, I was really jealous that I haven't thought about that before, you know? And I was like, yeah. man, I wish yeah, I could have definitely. done that. Yeah. On your mass work, for example. Yeah, my mash, my mash work and... is doing some kind of use, but, you know, it, it's it's a mash work between many others that just rust yeah, uh, in, a, in a little different way. But I was thinking about that recently, you know, that, um, for example, so Christian has that uh, mash parallax that he's been using forever. And Karen Berlin has a titanium Kokmo that he's also been using forever. And there's like a few people like that that got a bike. That's one bike only. Get it out there. Ride it every day. And the thing just evolves with you. Definitely. And because you only have one bike to ride, it makes that aging process so much faster and it gets mm. so much character faster, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And but I do like changing my bike. I do like the, the different... Yeah. Yeah, man. I really like change the, the, the feel of riding a different bike. Talking about so some of your bike, I know a lot of people have questions about your Dolan prototype. Yes. Do, do you want to talk a little bit more about that one? Sure thing. Where, where, are you? where should we start? Um, I don't know, where <laughs> yeah, do you well, get it, for example? Um, I think it was in the, the, this is, uh, for those of you who don't know, it's like a black, uh, Dolan and many people confuse it for the precursor, which I don't think it looks like at all, but, uh, it's like this, yeah, very anonymous black carbon, uh, Dolan frame. 
um, that I think was, I don't know why it circulated Copenhagen, but it's, I'm the third Danish owner, I think. Um, and there was this guy from the uh, old Danish Fixie King forum um, that had it stored in his attic. And I was really co close to buying a CETA from another guy and that deal fell through and I just wrote this guy um, whether he wanted to let it go and he was like sure why not it's not seeing any any use um, so he let me cop it for a good price um, and then it turned out it had like a chip in the top tube luckily only in the in like in the lacquer it's, it has a very thick layer of clear lacquer that I had professionally repaired um, but it's this crazy construction of a frame with uh, Kevlar on the inside and carbon on the outside uh, so it's really really stiff and strong and pretty heavy as well and I think it's made in 11 um, so the story I didn't really know the story about it other than it was a, a Dolan prototype and then uh, suddenly I saw that Dolan had reposted the bike and then they gave a lot of background information on it that I didn't know at the time so they wrote that it was commissioned by uh, Terry Dolan himself um, for Ian Stannard uh, who wrote for Team Sky at that time um, to use in Madison uh, events to ride in the velodrome and I think the whole thing of the this wishbone, uh, huge boxy construction of the uh, rear triangle is made because he was a very strong guy, so uh, it needed to sustain a lot of watts. Um, and then I don't think he ever used it. I don't really know uh, where it went from there. I tried con contact him uh, him once without luck, but uh, yeah, now it's uh, in my position, and I'm trying to not crash it in the same way that I did with the Mercs. <laughs> uh, shit happens, huh? Shit happens. Do you have a preference, Carl? Do you like steel or aluminium, or what, do, you, do you just prefer, like the change? I think I like, I mean, I like the possibilities behind uh, shaping aluminium, and mm -hmm. I like the feeling of, and the, the, the minimalistic, uh, very thin tubes of steel. So I, I like them in a very different way, but I think, um, I, I mean, I have definitely, I have a majority of aluminum bikes. So I think it's the unpopular opinion at, at this point, I think, but I, I think I prefer aluminum right now. Yeah. Um, in the, for example, the Cervelo T1s, which is like the crazy hype bike, but I wouldn't say it's like something special, except for the fact that the uh, the down tube it has is, I have never seen anything this sharp outside of uh, carbon, but it's like, I haven't measured how thick it is, but it, it it's like a knife edge in the top, which is nice. really fascinating. And it's all yeah. like hydro shaped aluminum. And it's, yeah, it's a, uh, it's kind of fun in a materialistic kind of uh, sense, mm. but very flashy as well. Yeah, that Dolan prototype, for some reason, it, and I don't know if they took inspiration or if they bought the mold or anything, but it looks a lot, uh, I mean, it's the other way around. The Dos Noventa Tokyo looks a lot like your prototype. Yes, mm. it does. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what the story is behind that, but there was a, a rumor going around that they bought the mold. Um, oh, really? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, now I'm kind of uh, at jeopardy of saying something wrong. So uh, that's what I heard too. On this one, but but I think, I mean, the the Dolan is made by Sato Cycles in Italy, mm -hmm. um, and it's handcrafted. So you can see, like the there was this carbon nerd guy who use like he does carbon repairs and stuff he checked it out because he wanted to see how the the kevlar and carbon was being bonded um and he said you know you can see on the top tube and the like the bindings of the where you would usually have locks on a steel bike mm -hmm. is assembled by hand by carbon i don't know how you can spot that but apparently it's a thing where if you know how to work around it mm -hmm. um so i don't really know how the production is going on right now. Um, if it's still made by Sato Cycles, I think so. Um, Cause it says it's made in Italy. Um, I'm not sure. 
Is that the same place but the first generation Dust Aventors were made? I don't know, but it could be, you know. Because they were made in Italy the first generation, I think. Yeah, I think so. I think yeah. so. And I think I, I suspect it's the same place, which is like apparently they are one of the best builders in the in the world, like of carbon fiber materials, Sato cycles. They're really uh, skilled carbon uh, craftsmen. So it's definitely not a bad thing. Um, but I haven't now I'm kind of doing I'm not working for Dustin Vinta, but they they gave Magnus and I a frame uh last january that we've written around a bit so i, I haven't actually asked them about it and it's, i think i've like i've been a bit i knew there was maybe not something that they wanted promoted yeah. too much um mm. so i've tried to dial it down a little bit um in respect in that regard but i really don't i don't think it takes any anything away from the does Venta that it has this backstory i think they should almost promote it yeah um yeah. that it was basically developed like for a velodrome uh for this person from team sky but i think they've also uh, i think they've changed the geometry a little bit so it's a bit more slack uh mm-hmm. in the seat stay and the crown tube angles mm-hmm. uh to make it a bit more comfortable for for street riding uh just city riding and yeah street riding they've made, yeah, I exactly. think they've made it a little bit exactly. more uh comfortable yeah yeah definitely yeah, don't worry. We'll we'll ask them directly. Uh, I'm not planning to getting sponsored by Dos Noventa anytime soon, so um, I I can just ask them. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds cool. Sounds cool. <laughs> so you got that bike from a guy directly in uh, Sweden, right? No, Denmark. 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 Lo- local. Yeah. Oh, from a local, and. How is the secondhand market over there? Is there a lot or is it somewhat scarce and you have to import a lot of things? I mean, it's uh, it used to be a lot. So every single bike that I own, except for the orange Masi, I think. Yeah, every single bike I own, I've bought locally in Denmark. Oh, so uh, cool. I think that kind of puts it in pr- into perspective. I've had yeah. these Bianchi Pista concept and this D2, which is also made at the Ripado Corsa factory and a lot of like interesting bikes that I have no idea how originate originally came to Denmark. Um, but I think like we talked about in the beginning as the whole fixed gear community kind of died out in the, in the late uh, 2000 and yeah. start 2010, 11, mm-hmm. 12 ish. I think a lot of people let let them go, and I know some of them brought them home from Italy, and some mm-hmm. bought mesh bikes uh, online and stuff. Um, so right now the market is pretty quiet, I'd say. Um, also because I think we're seeing a bit, luckily, uh, a lot more people riding uh, here as well. So I think people are starting to cup frame as well. So now it's not me alone anymore <laughs> uh, looking for uh, like scavenger deals. Um, that was also one question I wanted to ask you. Uh, do you feel like fixed gear as a community, as it's gone up 2000, dipped back down, 2010, dipped back down? Do you think now through social media, fixed gear is growing again? I think so. Yeah, that's definitely my impression. I don't know if it's caused by social media. Uh, I know that it's I personally one of the things that I prefer because there are so many bad things to be said about social media and all the things that yeah. it can cause and all that shit. But it's, you know, the whole, again, a, a huge cliche, but the whole, you know, bringing people together. I mean, me meeting you guys on there and um i've spoken a bit to uh, patrick uh, fixie king from mm-hmm. san francisco because he did these very successful fixed gear rides there and i know that's i mean san francisco is like the mothership of fixed yeah. gear um in in the states at least so um i kind of wanted to learn how he did that and how he got so successful with it to maybe implement it in a way back home um so I think in that sense, it's definitely helped because people, you know, see communities growing uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. around the world and find inspiration to do it themselves. I definitely think with um, it being quite a small niche, we're not skateboarding, we're not BMX, we, we're still, you know, pushing 
what we like as a passion and I think uh, exactly. social media has definitely played a part in the smaller niches. There's more people interested and then asking questions and then learning and then joining the community at the moment, I exactly. think. Yeah. Exactly. Agreed. Mm. I've got one more Which quick question. Really nice. What do you yeah. think about fixed gear freestyle? I think it's uh, so cool. Oh. I have a, I mean, I have a huge uh, insecurity in that I'm shit at doing tricks on bikes, <laughs> and it's something that I would love. I would love to be better. I mean, I never learned to wheelie, um, and it's definitely on my bucket list. It's something I need to do before I leave town. That's the only one you really need to learn. That's the the only one that brings a smile to my face as much as uh, riding bikes as wheeling a bike. Yeah, I mean it's. We can come to yeah, Copenhagen to and do a crash course on how to wheel, yeah, you know? Yeah. Thank you. I would love to. Um, <laughs> <laughs> endless gratitude in your direction. I would love to do that. That would be incredible. Let's definitely plan that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, in, in the summer, though, please. Yes. 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 yes, yes. I, w I wouldn't uh, recommend you guys coming right now. <laughs> like, it's in my interest as well for you to see the Copenhagen, like, most uh, inspiring and fun to be in and it's not the Copenhagen that is right now it's uh quiet and dull and very gray so uh so please wait till Definitely spring summer. or summer bring us spring summer. or summer <laughs> yeah in like nine months when sun starts showing again <laughs> so lovely <laughs> all right yeah because you have like a, a time of the year when it's nighttime uh almost not all the time but almost non-stop right yeah definitely like for 17 hours a day it's dark what the oh, hell that is, uh, oh, yeah, that is scary it's it's a really uh, strange kind of thing too and i think like everyone is in a in a, <clears throat> in a different like survival mental state because it's just mm -hmm. like you're going you're going to work in the dark and you're going home from work in the dark <clears throat> so when you ride a bike you know that like you have to use your lights the whole time which kind of sets it into perspective but it's i think the sun gets up at around 8 30 and goes down at 3 30 or something it's 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 scary to 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 witness maybe i think that's part of the whole scandinavian viking mentality is like that we're used to these really brutal dark harsh winters um more of course in, in oslo and stockholm than in in Copenhagen but it's like it is definitely mentally challenging to be in the darkness for that long and I mean when the sun rises it's not like we see the sun it's like it's completely dark and snowing or raining for the most of the time so it's it's definitely a harsh climate to be a cyclist in as well well big up do you actually ride uh, keeping up on riding with respect <laughs> yeah dude uh, if I if I was living there, I would just like hibernate and be on my PC for like oh yeah, but that's a few months. That's what we try to do. To <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. But I mean, I do that as much as possible. But that's the beauty of Copenhagen. <laughs> you can really like the, the the by far the most effective way to get around is by bike. So people ride all year round. I mean, you can yeah. choose to get stuck stuck in traffic in a car on a bus, but it's just. It's so much faster to hop on your bike. And then, I mean, when you get to work, even though it's really cold when you're out there, then you're kind of, the blood is flowing and you're warm. And so yeah. it's, it's a nice way to, to like get out there and do stuff. But I'm definitely, I'm not one of those guys going for 120 kilometer rides in the winter. I'm just not that, I'm just not that avid a cyclist. I mean, and I don't think I'll ever be. Yeah. I know. Yeah, yeah. I love. I love a commute. I love. I lo it's one of the best things I like about riding my bike is getting up in the morning, cutting across the city to go to work. It get definitely. Yeah, it keeps keeps you going. That's interesting definitely. that you say that because I I used to love commute. Like it used to be my favorite thing ever. Now in Paris, I I find the traffic so hectic and so problematic to go around. Mm. that i enjoy more long rides and i kind of despise commute and <laughs> when i need to go to a place when i know it's a little bit too far to walk there and i'm really lazy so a lot of things is too far <laughs> so I, I need to, i need to take my bike i'm kind of like 
fuck i need to take my bike <laughs> i know i can't look it i know uh it's gonna be traffic yeah. on the way i know so many stuff and yeah now i'm more into like longer rides or trick mm. sessions or you know things Definitely. that you know you're gonna go at a place yeah that's really nice as well but one question for you guys like how how do you get around like do you have a, a beater shitty bike or do you bring your bikes basically with you everywhere and don't lock them outside or how do you uh, i never lock my never that? lock my bikes outside the longest is no. 15 20 minutes while i'm in the supermarket and i will always go to a different supermarket so i never regularly lock my bike and i have a good lock but i don't often i uh, take it to the bar if i'm going for a drink and i can always see it i take it upstairs to my flat uh yeah i yeah i'm i'm not one for leaving my bikes anywhere <laughs> I don't carry a lock either. Um, I sh- I just I don't stop at places. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's dumb, but you know that lock or not, your bike is gonna get stolen in Paris. Definitely. So yeah, or damage. I don't think it's dumb. It's yeah, or damage. Safety precautions. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So yeah, and uh, for like the beater bike, I don't really have a beater bike. I have the Mashwork that I, I ride most of the time. <laughs> Yeah. Uh that kind of looks like a beater, but there's also a pair of zips on it, so I don't know if it's really a beater. Yeah, your beater is your mash work no, with your not. zips. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's also I can tell you, Paul, it's it's not it's not a beater. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is also my travel bike, so I think no, I don't think I, I really have a, a a beater. I just yeah, I just don't lock my bike. I d- definitely when That's I nice. used to live in uh, Newcastle and London, I had a beater because I would tend to lock it up and leave it for some time. But since I started this whole thing again and started riding more beginning of last year and building more, I, I've just gone away from that and just keep everything uh, safe all the time. But that's the worst really thing about sense. where I live is even if you have a beater that looks like utter shit, people will still stole it. Yeah yeah which is crazy that's just so annoying yeah i mean i I think i remember amy once doing like a report on japan and like how she loved that you could basically leave your bike unlocked in a square and come back hours later and find it still Uh, i don't know if that's over exaggerated but it's like it is not definitely not the case here it is not when i was living in japan um I was so I had a, an apartment with my girlfriend, and the limit was three bikes inside. And I was like, okay, sounds good, three bikes inside, yeah. no big deal. So I had three bikes inside. I had a few frames in like the walking closet we had, so not okay. built up, you know? Yeah. And at some point, I needed a little bit more space, you know? So I was like, ah, I can maybe like, put one outside and we'll see how it goes and i started to just put one outside of my place uh to to my defense it was not uh directly in front of the road you know it's a little bit you, you need to go yeah. into an alley um okay. but i was i was locking it in front of my place and uh, there was nothing to lock it to so i was only free locking it and years passed uh and then i just started noticing that after like two or three years uh, i just had like three bikes like three expensive bikes in yeah. my alley you know and just not locking them all the time i think like That's my incredible. gt my cannondale and my parallax was there wow and like, i would if, steal them <laughs> if, if someone would come at, at that point and just like steal it that would have been like the biggest bargain of all time you know yeah but uh nobody did so yeah that's incredible how did you how long did you stay in japan uh i stayed four years yeah wow that's cool it was i would love to go i've never been i'd love to ride japan tokyo yeah yeah me too i mean it is definitely into my i was i was planning to to go back but covid and everything so it didn't happen so it is still on my list and I still want to get my shit back. So, you know, I, I have, <laughs> I have a sense. few bikes over there that I want to, I want to <laughs> get back. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. 
But you have a parent living there or what? No, is... absolutely not. No, uh, I, I went on my own and then uh, I met someone. We, we we lived together for a while and then uh, I I went back to France uh, to do like some... I, I don't know how I convicted myself to do some studies, but I, I went back to France to study. And then yeah. the plan was to uh, spend a year in France and then go back to Japan to open a bike cafe and, yeah, and then COVID. And then we are here two years and a half later and borders are still closed. So, yes. yeah, I'm still I'm still waiting for borders to open and then I'll see what I do. But yeah, a bike all, cafe. that sounds nice. Yeah. A lot of my bikes are in Japan now, so I, I really want to go back. <laughs> yeah, I get that. Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. Uh, we'll keep our eyes peeled for a bike cafe in the new pedal room side and all the other stuff you've got going on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sounds like you need something to do. Exactly. You have, you have, you're clearly not busy. Yeah, no, they're definitely not busy <laughs> enough. I still have a, I, I still have a list of projects on my wall that I, I need to tackle, but you know, I can just add more lines to to the thing. Yeah, of course. <laughs> always extend it with another paper or something. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's like a different piece of paper, barely taped to it. Like, oh yeah, there's still that stuff to do. Yeah, you don't even have time to tape it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, guys, uh, yeah. that will pretty be much it for this episode. Uh, it was amazing to have you, Carl, on the show. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, thank you so much it was a great to be here and really nice to talk to you guys properly yeah absolutely once. well you're gonna stay with her like a, a little 20 more minutes uh on the after show but Definitely. in the meantime guys um as always everything we discussed today will be in the show notes on the blog lesbiansignd.com you can also find the suggestion box where you can tell us what we should talk in the podcast uh, you can find us on our Discord server. The invite link is also in the show notes or with our Instagram account at SlowSpinSidey. Rob is at KarenZ.co. And Carl is, you know it, Fixie Carl. Sharing the podcast with your friend is the easiest way to support your show by giving us a good review on the platform of your choice. If you get value out of the show, why not considering putting value back in, either by supporting us on Apple Podcasts with their new subscription program, or by visiting patreon.com slash podcast to join the community, where pledging at any level will grant you access to the pre- and after show, which is around 40 minutes of extra content per week. We are now at 26 Patreons, and thank you so much, as always, for your support. The music for the show is Lovely Swindler by Amaria, and the illustration well is by me. Carl, one last thing you would like to say for the people listening to the main show. Thank you for listening, and for the love of God, wear a helmet when you ride your bike. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. We'll yeah. see you guys next Monday. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye.